Well, good morning once again. Uh, great to have you here with, uh, with us at Canterbury Gardens, particularly if you're visiting. Uh, a very special welcome to you, and particularly those of you who might be listening online. Hi, from Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Uh, as you know, we started a series uh, called A Gospel-Shaped Community and looking at the book of Titus. Um, and Nathan started that for us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's laid a foundation for us, and that foundation was to say that this gospel of grace is not just a message, it is, but it should impact and totally infiltrate every aspect of your life. And Titus does that for us. And that gospel of grace is built around Jesus Christ. And we heard about this guy, Paul, and we learned a little bit about him as a church planter, as a missionary, but also as an apostle. His calling to those God has specifically called him to. Both the local church in the context, like in Crete and through the book of Titus, but also the global church. He's writing to a pastor by the name of Titus. Titus is probably a pastor of a, a network of house churches that we're meeting. And, and he's calling Titus to remind this church to continue to increase in the knowledge of the gospel. Because in that knowledge, it leads to godliness. And that godliness is not something that's just temporal. It's actually an eternal thing. It's an eternal hope. If you missed those talks, I'd encourage you to go down to our website and have, download them and hear them again. And last week we were told that uh, Titus had to put some things into order. There's chaos going on in this church. And he had to put it in order by raising some new leaders. And Paul wanted to make very sure to Titus what kind of leaders God is looking for. Now, I don't know if you had to fill out a resume or a CV and send it out. And usually it starts off with, you know, the things that you've done, your education, your skill sets, your personality, those kind of things. But here in God's word, you see what kind of things God's looking for. It has nothing to do with external things. It has to do with internal things, character. It all has to boil down to character. But it's character that is built on Jesus and the gospel. So if you desire to be an elder at Canterbury Gardens Community Church, like Nathan talked about, these are the kind of characteristics we're looking for in people through the lens of grace, through the lens of the gospel. If you want to know how to pray for your elders and pastors, why don't you use this list as a prayer list? This is a great way to pray for us, that God would grow these characteristics in us. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm never going to be an elder, but you might be a leader, a Christian leader, either at home, in your workplace, maybe a parachurch ministry. These are great still characteristics you can pray that God would grow in you. And so that was laid for us. Now, as John just read, we've given this almost like contrast. If you have one list of what to look for, the good stuff, Here's another list of all the really bad, yucky stuff. What to look for for people that were actually infiltrating this church. This church was getting infiltrated by a bunch of guys. Uh, we'll get to know a little bit more, but it's not a group of guys that no one knows about. It seems that it's kind of like a superhero story, you know? You know the superheroes always has an arch nemesis? Well, Paul had an arch nemesis, and this group was always following him everywhere he went. And in Titus, Paul makes it very clear what is their characteristics. 
These are leaders who are insubordinate. They're empty talkers and deceivers. It talks about in verse 10. In verse 11, it talks about them upsetting whole families. It talks about them being leaders who are more interested in shameful gain. It's very challenging, sort of um, convicting words by Paul. It even talks about in verse 14 that uh, they were devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commanding people to turn away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And verse 16 talks about them being men who profess to know God, but they actually deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient. They're actually not unfit for leadership. They're unfit for any good work. So Paul's addressing this church, but he's also addressing a group of people specifically through Titus. See, this group of teachers were false teachers. Ultimately, what they were saying is, listen, yes, you become a Christian by faith in Jesus, but, you know, to stay a follower of Jesus, we need to add some extra things. To be seen as a good Christian, you need to do one particular thing. That's called circumcision. You need to be circumcised. Now, if you're wondering what circumcision is about, particularly a young person, you can ask your parents about that at lunchtime. It'll be a great lunchtime conversation. But at the heart of this is these leaders were insubordinate. What that means is they were unruly. They hated to be under authority. Any godly authority came around them and over them, they would, they would just not like it at all. They were unruly. They were empty talkers. Anything that they said was absolutely useless. It was pointless. It didn't actually make sense, particularly in the context of the gospel. Because what they're saying is, let's add to the gospel. And Paul is saying, that does not make sense. You do not do that. They were deceiving people. They were deceiving households into this false doctrine and deluding people and exploiting their, their, their vulnerability. They must have been very good at talking. They're like sweet talkers, convincing. But at the heart, they don't actually know the gospel. And they were leading a lot of people astray. But what was driving them wasn't actually religious conviction. What was driving them was shameful gain. It was all driven by selfishness. To add another little notch on their legalistic belt. So Paul is going to make a very interesting statement in these next few verses as he describes them. Now, one of the other things is this group, we're talking about saying, listen, you need to be circumcised, but also in some sense you need to pull yourself away from worldly things and cut yourself off. And I love what Paul does here. He quotes a Greek philosopher by the name of Epimenides. I hope I said that right. Epimenides is a guy who's actually talking in this quote you just see He's actually talking about his own group of people. Now, that might sound a bit strange. You, know, you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? Well, it would be like if I said to you, this is not a true story, but if I said to you, last night uh, on uh, Channel 7 and the news, they interviewed Hugh Jackman. The American TV show was interviewing Hugh Jackman, and they asked him, as an Australian, Hugh, tell us, tell us about Aussies. What are Aussies like? And Hugh turns around and goes, well, they're a bunch of convicts. And I came to you on Sunday and said, yeah, did you hear that quote? Well, it's true. I'm sure that would be very cutting words for those of us who are Australian. 
It does not make sense. But Paul is trying to make some very clear point. He He's saying, listen, I'm going to use this philosopher. Now, in our context, you might be thinking, okay, how does that all fit in? Well, see, in Crete, as a, as a city, as a town, they had this really interesting fact, which was they were not known for any dangerous animal. Now, unlike us, if we walk out the door, you probably get bitten by a bull ant or a snake or something, a magpie will swoop you. Here in Australia, it's very different. But in Crete, it was known as a place that didn't have any dangerous animal, but they had a quote. The word Crete or Cretan was almost became a swear word. It is to say, yes, Crete does not have any dangerous animals, but the people make up for it. Pretty powerful quote to hear, particularly to a church. And the, what was driving all of this, I think Paul is trying to say, see, this group of leaders, at the end of the day, they're not wanting to be in submission to other leaders. Now, church, I don't know uh, when you think about yourself, and often in our Western context particularly, there's this really push for individualism. I'm an individual. I do what I want. I say what I want and say. And I understand we're all individuals. We all have different personalities. We all have different ways of dislikes and what things are like. But when it comes to the body of Christ, you know what we're actually called? We're called sheep. Not individuals and sheep who are called to follow. We're all called to follow our chief shepherd in Jesus. And we're also called to listen to the leaders that God places under him. Not in arrogant authority, but in submissive authority to Jesus. And we're all called to be sheep to follow Jesus and then to follow the leaders that God has placed. And here in this context, Paul is challenging this church as well. He's actually saying, listen, I want you, Titus, to go grab these people who are uh, leading these other men and women away from the truth of the gospel, and I want you to grab their mouths and muzzle them and shut them up because they're teaching contrary to the gospel of Jesus. Now, the church itself is not bystanders. It's not just the Judaizers or the people who are calling for circumcision. There are also people who are just accepting it. They were not testing it. And so they were pretending that they knew God and by their life, it was very clear they don't know God. Their lives speak a different story. At the end of the day, Paul is saying, listen, they have no purpose and any good work they do is actually no good work. It's useless. It's pointless. See, what was driving this group was this thing, uh, air of godliness. Now, godliness is a good thing. God calls us to be godly people. But godliness that is grounded under legalism or godliness that is grounded under self-will is not true gospel, grace-centered godliness. See, godliness that is grace-based is not legalistic. See, legalistic godliness, what it does, it drives people to do totally the opposite. So this group of people are saying, you need to do these kind of rules and regulations and at the end of the day, they're not even saying how you can keep up to these standards. They weren't even giving away in how to do these standards. And so what would happen is, is people would get crushed under it. They were not offering what kind of power you can rely on to obey it because it's contrary to the gospel. Now, I don't know what your friends say when you say you're a Christian. I know for my friends who don't know Jesus, when I say I'm a Christian, usually... This is what comes to mind. 
Oh, you don't smoke. You don't drink. You don't sleep around. Now, that's what they think usually. Why is that? Because I think sometimes the temptation is to say that the gospel and the Christian message is a set of moral standards. It's not all that. See, if our whole faith was based on just moral standards and works, there are plenty of other religions like that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is contrary to that. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ turns around and says, yes, we are called to be godly. We are called to be holy. We're meant to cut off sin. The reason for that is because we have a loving Father who commands that. But this loving Father who commands that to us is not telling us and barking at us, but he turns around and says, hey, listen, don't do that. Because if you do that, that it will not go good for you. I know what's good for you. I'm your loving dad. Turn around. Run away. I know what's best for you. And you know what God says? Everything that he says, he can't lie. Everything that he says is true. And so we have a wonderful Heavenly Father we can trust. And this is what grace-based godliness is, which is totally opposite to legalism. And so Paul says to Titus, listen, in light of this, I want you to grab those drop kicks, that's in the Greek, and remind them again what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but also remind each other. And in light of that, I think he's very clear. Now, before I move on, I want to ask the questions, does that still happen? Now, I'm guessing most of you, you don't have someone knocking on your door saying you need to get circumcised on Sunday. I'm guessing. If there is, please come and tell me. I'd love to meet them. I'd love to have a coffee with them and find out where they're getting that. But the reality of the world that we live in, many of us are downloading, listening, YouTubing uh, things, and we need to test those things out. We need to test it out. We need to test it out in the lens of Jesus through his word, through the gospel. So some questions to consider. As you listen to the latest podcast, as you listen to the latest YouTube thing, or you read the latest book, great, wonderful. But ask these questions. Are these from God? Are they actually God's word and true? Or are they just tradition, particularly in the context of things when people say you need to add things to the gospel? You need to do these things to be a Christian. Or is it just tradition? Does it force this person to go inward or does it force them to, because in relation to the gospel Christ has done, it causes them to work outwards? Is it a ritual or is it just a tradition? So when it comes to legalistic things, these are things to consider as well. Is the godliness due to um, a transformed life or is it something that is about a formal way of tradition again? Ask these questions. The things that people are telling you to do, test it out and go, okay, now does this fit with the gospel of grace? Or they're adding to it. Don't just download, but listen, test it out. And in light of that, I think this is why Paul is deliberate. So he's talked about elders and the characters, and he's talked about these bad characteristics and these uh, leaders that are here. Now he goes into, well, now for the rest of the church and the church life. For us to continue in this faith, we need each other, a gospel grace-based community. And so he says to Titus, 
He begins with him first as a pastor. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In verse 1. Now we've just been given a picture, right? In a few verses before, what is dodgy, really bad doctrine and teaching look like? So Titus is told, teach sound doctrine. Now, you might be thinking, what is sound doctrine at the end of the day? Well, what it is, is very contrary to what the other guys were teaching. Sound teaching is something that is life-giving, not life-draining. There's something that doesn't just affect you on Sunday morning or doesn't just affect you at small group or during your quiet times or uh, during your prayer times, which are all great things. It actually affects your whole life. It leads and infects all of your life, both your emotional and spiritual well-being. That's the kind of sound teaching Titus has been told to do. And he says, talks about sound doctrine. Now, for some of us, when we hear the word doctrine, our eyes roll in the back of our heads. We go, here we go, I'm going to switch off now. He's going to talk about big shin words and... It's not going to make sense. He's going to talk about some systematic theology book. I'm just going to shut off. For some of us, we hear the word doctrine and we go, oh my goodness, finally. He's been rabbiting on for 20 minutes. Now we're going to get into really deep theological stuff. Now, I don't know where you are in that regards. But church, true doctrine that is grounded in Jesus should not bore you. It should stir your heart. It should cause your heart to be in awe of what Christ has done. And that's what Paul, I think, is saying to Titus here. And true doctrine that that Titus is told to teach should not just be academic and intellectual because if it just stays in your brain, you're missing the point of true Christ-centered doctrine. It should drive you to be living it out. It should impact your everyday life. That's how you test to see if there's good doctrine or not. Does it impact your life today? Otherwise, doctrine can become just like those guys who are preaching this false doctrine of the gospel. They were just preaching false stuff. It becomes abused or it becomes kind of tangent doctrines and people spend lots of time on it. Like this group, we're talking about genealogies and fables and what Paul's saying, that's just nonsense. And we can all be tempted to do that, can't we? Listen to some guy sitting in his room in his pajamas on a YouTube thing talking about some random doctrine that does not make sense. Test it out, but understand what doctrine is, true doctrine that is grounded in Jesus and the gospel. And so, in light of that, he says, Titus, I need you to grab, firstly, a word to older men. So, Before I even go on, older men, you can decide if you're old or not. (laughs) Older men, this is what God says through his word, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, if you look at that list, does it say anything about how many times you read the Bible? If you memorize scripture, how many times you go to church, if you're involved in church ministry, 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not playing that down. They're great things. You need to do those things, particularly as older men, as men, as people in general of God. But once again, it's looking at the characteristics. It's looking at the heart and qualities. Now, if you're an older man reading that going, whoa, that is a big list. I've got encouragement for you. Don't forget in Titus 1, the first few verses, this is driven under the guide of grace. This is not about you being perfectly rounded and got that completely under the belt. Under grace, are you growing in this? What I love about this list, now when I look at this list, it's totally opposite to grumpy old men. I don't know if you've ever met a grumpy old man. I'm trying not to look at people here, so <laughs> I'm being very careful. Uh, and if, I, if I'm looking at you, I don't mean it. I don't mean anything by it. I'm just putting it out there. But I don't know if you've ever noticed grumpy old men. Grumpy old men, at the end of the day, they, they love to pick arguments for the sake of picking arguments. They're very cynical. They're actually getting tired of serving because they've been doing it for such a long time. They might say things like, ah, that won't work. We did that before. I don't even know why you're bothering. Oh, they might even say, whether intentionally or unintentionally, why are you changing that? Don't leave it. We've done that for the last 20 years. It's the same way. Oh, man, I used to love it how it used to be back in my day. I don't know where you're at in that, particularly if you're an older man. But I want you to know that young men need a godly example to follow. But they also need men who are worthy of following. They need men who are worthy of following. Not grumpy old men, but men worthy of respect. But understand that it's in light of Jesus and the grace. Other men, we, we need to look at your lives I need to ask this question. When a young man looks at your life, do they look at your life and think, I hope I never become like him when I'm his age? Do they look at your life and go, man, I hope and pray when I'm at his age, I'm like him loving Jesus like he does. And this is all under grace. So question, older men, are you being men who are being growing and more and more into grumpy old men or are you growing in light of the gospel of grace as it's described here in these verses? And so now after that, in light of that, Titus also goes to older women. And I'm being very careful here. You can decide if you're an older woman or not. I value my life. But it's a word to older women. Now, in our, in our culture, in our generation particularly, Older women are not encouraged at all. I'm guessing most of the time you uh, ladies go to uh, somewhere to buy beauty products, there's probably a plethora of age-defying things available. Because older men, uh, sorry, older women are not respected. Older women are not encouraged. Growing old is not a, a valued thing. It's all about it's trying to stay as young as possible, as long as possible. And you see that in our celebrities of our days who are past quite young, sorry, quite old and still acting like young ladies, dressing like young ladies. And so in these verses, Paul says to Titus, 
Older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. What Paul is saying to Titus is, listen, Titus, the kind of older women I'm encouraging you to look for are women, according to God's design, are loving God above anything else. They have a relationship with God. They're in awe of God. They're not like our devil who loves to slander. They're not an accusing woman. They're not constantly criticizing for the sake of criticizing. And through hurtful words, they attack. They're not actually addicted to things like wine or in general addiction. Because these women have been given a task. And that is to train the young women. And in the context here, it's talking particularly about young women who are married. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Now, young women, when you read that and hear that, you might think, oh, no. Shabu's telling the older women to come and tell me to start knitting classes, sit at home and, you know, make biscuits and so on. Now, if you do knitting and biscuits, great. God bless you. That's fantastic. Don't miss what the heart of this passage is. It's about training women to be radically balanced in their love for God, their love for their husbands and their kids. But to understand to these young women who are loving Jesus, loving their family, and saying to him, this is a calling. This is a job that God has given you. Go for it. Keep pursuing it. Be women who are self-controlled in mind and behavior to encourage the young women to do that, to live pure sexual lives in every form. And in this context, to be women who work at home. Now, don't forget the cultural gap there. In that, back in that day, they would, probably wouldn't have said, you know, there's universities and being told that you can um, pursue a career and so on. Those things are great things to look to. But at the heart of this, the question is, the older women have been challenged to bring these younger women back to priorities. Firstly, their relationship with God, but also to think through what God has designed them to do. Which is to live under a loving authority. Whether if it's in a husband, or where they're at their house. And the characteristics is what they're driving them to encourage these young, young women to do. To encourage them in a world that tells them your identity is in anything else but Jesus. Your identity is in your career. Your identity is in your kids. Your identity is in your looks. Paul is reminding Titus to encourage these older women to come alongside these younger women to say, hey, actually your identity is in God and he's calling for you. And in light of that, love and live and serve where God has placed you right now. They're also told not to abuse the word of God because unlike the Judaizers, they're abusing God's word. Uh, this past week, I went to the shops and uh, with my family and we're hanging out and we, tried to, we had to run into the supermarket to get some food for my beautiful little daughter, Lucy, and I'm holding her and she's hugging me and she's looking all cute and she's smiling at me and I'm like melting in my heart and trying to be all cool though at the same time and 
uh, because we're in public. And so we're, 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 I'm holding her, and, and, and so here's the baby food aisle. And like most supermarkets, what they'll do is they'll do baby food aisle, magazines, and chocolates, right? So mum's going, baby food, oh, I feel like some chocolate magazine while I walk out the door. So here we are. I'm standing there with my daughter, and I catch an eye of all the magazine rack. And some of, these are some of the titles that were on some of the magazines. How to Satisfy Him. Your Best Body for Summer Now. Ten Tips for a Flat Tummy. What's Hot to Wear This Summer. And a plethora of gossip magazines. I'm holding Lucy, my little 12-month-old cute-ass little girl, and realizing for the first time ever, it won't be long before those things are going to lie to her and tell her this is what you need to fight in your identity. Older women, you have a significant task ahead of you. Because there are young women throughout in our generation, in our church, who are totally being lied to. And there's a desperate need for older women to come alongside these young women. And when you read this once again, when you look at those characteristics, don't drown in them and go, oh, there's no way I'm that person. That's the point. The point is to look at it and go, I can't do this, but in Christ I'm growing in this. And that is far more what young women need to see. Not that you've got it together, but you are wanting to love Jesus and follow Jesus. I'd be very surprised if any young woman here would not desire to see that in an older woman much more than if they've got it together. So the question is, are you willing to invest in that? Because there's a desperate need for it. It's not rocket science. So what could that look like in the context today in 2015-14? Well, firstly, I would encourage you to do this. Get equipped. If you're thinking about discipleship, if you're thinking of mentoring, whatever language you want to use, uh, firstly, humble yourself under the gospel and realize you need God's power to do this. You can't do this on your own. But then get equipped. First get equipped by looking at God's word. Look at what the relationship between uh, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus. Look at the language that he uses and what are the things that he speaks into their lives. Those are things you speak into the next generation's lives. The other thing about getting trained, I'd encourage you to come and chat to John, Nathan and myself. We'd love to catch up with you to show you what it looks like to be equipped in these things. There's plenty of resources out there as well. Secondly, Another practical way of doing it. Do it very ad hoc. It doesn't have to always be formal. But it has to be intentional. The gospel chapel that I grew up in, um, back in, uh, when I was 10 and when we came to Australia, there was one man by the name of Mr. Finlay. Without a fail, every week after church, as he grabs his coffee, he, uh, Mr. Finlay was a forklift driver, so it was my first experience for an Aussie Aussie, right? So he come up to me, G'day, mate, how are you? I'm like, oh, good. He's like really tall. And, and he would just ask me, how's your week? How's school going? You know, what's happening? And he'd say some funny stories about him growing up in Phillip Island and shooting penguins. And uh, it was, you know, for a young guy, it was great. But it wasn't rocket science. He just intentionally came up and said, hey, how are you going? But there's also different stages in life. 
People like Jake Abraham who poured into my life by inviting me to his house and asking me to hang out with him and his family and in the mess of seeing kids running around and going crazy. And even when his wife and him decide to have a a dispute in front of me, I'm sitting there going, awkward, but he's doing it in front of me. And through that, I'm watching what it means to be gospel-centered and grace-based. And through that, I'm seeing life. So it doesn't have to be rocket science. It can be quite simple. It could be even you just ask them to come around for a coffee. It could be even seasonal. You might be someone who is a young married who's looking at a dating couple and asking them, hey, why don't you come around to our place? Let's hang out. Let's talk. You might be someone who's a young, uh, a, a couple who's got young kids who just, and then you see some couple here in our church who just had a baby, maybe invite them around. Talk and share life. Speak some of these truths into each other's lives. So it doesn't have to be fully formal in that sense. But it does need intentionality. You need to be able to step out. But I would also encourage a very simple thing to do on a Sunday morning. As you're having your tea and coffee and uh, chatting, older men, go chat to some of the younger men in our church. And before you finish, maybe just do this simple thing. Hey, how can I pray for you this week? Older women, you could do the same to the younger women in our church. Now imagine if we did that every Sunday. I would guess the conversations would change over time. Because by God's grace, we're intentionally engaging with each other. Younger women, we're going to be talking about this a little bit next week. Can I encourage you, Facebook groups will not always offer you the right kind of counsel you might be looking for. The right kind of counsel might come from older women who have walked longer in their relationship with Jesus than you. So go spend time with them. That's why we have a women's ministry here. Part of their heart is to connect women with each other, all different age groups. So I'd encourage you to talk to Julie, Ivana, Florina and be involved. And older women... Don't buy into the culture that says you aren't relevant. It's a total lie. If you love Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, under God's grace, you are relevant. And for some of you, that means you're born into this thing about retirement. I understand we all have to stop at some point. Maybe it's time for you to invest again. Whatever way that form might look, it might be simple. One person, Sunday mornings. In whatever form that may be. Younger men, stop pretending you know everything because you don't. Google and YouTube might give you certain answers and some fun videos, but it will not give you grace-based life experience that you will find in an older man, in a gospel, Christ-centered older man. So older men, particularly in our Australian culture, Some of you are either aiming just for retirement or are retired now. Maybe God is calling you to get back in the game. Don't aim for the retirement, but actually get back in the game of investing in some young men who are in desperate need of godly men to walk alongside them. Would you consider that, church? My prayer is as a church, our leadership as a prayer as a church is we're not known as a family church, 
or a young church or whatever church that the labels are thrown around, but we're a church that are multi-generational, investing in each other because of the love of Christ. As the music team comes up, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I just want to thank you that you're an amazing God who knew that we needed each other. You created a community that is based not just sake for the sake of community, but community that is based around Jesus. And in light of that, Lord, we need each other, both young and old. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are the older men or the young, uh, older women. Would you encourage them this morning, lay on their hearts people that they can talk to, invest in or continue to invest in, so that we would be known as a church who love Jesus and love each other for your fame. In Jesus' name, amen.